With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This time of year, Michiganders are used to feeling a sense of relief. Can you tell me about like springtime in Michigan? Let me talk about winter first, then I'll tell you about spring. <laughs> <laughs> Abdul El-Sayed is a lifelong Michigander, lives in Ann Arbor. The worst month of winter is February. February is so oppressively cold. I mean, it's the kind of thing where you go out and if your hair is wet, it freezes. You know, y- your fingers start to tingle at the end because it's so oppressively cold. It doesn't get any any brighter than just white sky. And um, you the get days, the picture here. Um, and after you've put in the work of the winter, it just feels like you've you've earned your spring. Abdul is an epidemiologist. He ran the Detroit Health Department a few years back. He says this year, when COVID rates started to fall and more and more vaccines started to be available, it felt like the folks here had earned their spring in more ways than one. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> in, uh, in early March, I felt really good about everything I was hearing and seeing. Spring was on its way. We had a couple of really nice days and um, it felt really good. And I think when things started to level off in a real way and then tick upward, that that's when my feeling of optimism started to fade a little bit. If you pull out the list of metro areas where COVID is at its worst right now, 13 of the top 20 towns are in Michigan. Jackson, Detroit, Flint. That curve we keep talking about flattening. It is instead going vertical. When you start to go vertical, you're talking about many more people infected per person. And that exponential growth is is where we are in Michigan. I wonder if you see Michigan as being a warning to the rest of the country. Because you you've made this point that while what's happening in Michigan right now looks like it stands out and like it's scary, the fact is, is that the dynamics that exist where you are exist everywhere else, too. It's just that what's happening in Michigan, it's happening first. Yep. I, I want to be wrong about this. I want the future to look like everyone learned their lesson. All of these governors who uh, were aggressively reopening looked at Michigan's curve and said, Nah, we're not doing that. The worry I have is that the same exact set of dynamics that is in Michigan is in every other U.S. state. Today on the show, all across the country, progress against the coronavirus seems to be stalling. Michigan is showing how progress might even get reversed. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. 
When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, uh, Dr. Fauci, we're, we're, there's a bit of a debate going on right now on whether a fourth wave is appearing. They're really... Earlier this week, Dr. Anthony Fauci turned up on MSNBC to talk about the likelihood that outbreaks like the one in Michigan could become a full-blown fourth wave of COVID across the entire country. Fauci sounded skeptical. Whether it explodes into a real surge or not remains to be seen. I think that the vaccine is going to prevent that from happening. But But Abdul Al-Sayed, who's in the middle of one of these localized outbreaks, he looks at what's happening right now a little differently. He says, Michigan proves that unless our vaccination plans really ramp up, we're in danger of losing a race against this coronavirus. He says vaccines could smother the spread, but only if they get into everyone's arms now. It's kind of like throwing a blanket on a fire, right? If you think about this pandemic as a fire, if you throw a blanket on a fire, you can put out that fire if you do it right, right? And you know that that blanket has to go on all at once. It has to stifle that fire from getting the oxygen it needs to breathe. But if you slowly feed a blanket into a fire, all that's going to do is become uh, more grist for that fire. And I um, am looking at this moment and I'm thinking every single person who gets infected right now um, is an opportunity for a variant to pick up a set of new evolutionary traits that could potentially lead it to escaping our immune responses, whether natural or vaccine mediated. And I think that fear um, is the thing that I have in my mind right now. So it could get worse. I I don't want to say that, um, but there is a theoretical possibility that could get worse. Let's dig into the spike in Michigan and exactly what the numbers are and what we're seeing. My understanding is that Michigan is leading all other states in terms of new cases. Are these cases concentrated in a particular area or is it really just everywhere? They started out, the outbreaks started out being concentrated in Michigan's thumb. Uh, For folks who aren't familiar with the geography of Michigan, Michiganders will very quickly point it out to you that Michigan looks like a a mitten. And um, the thumb of the mitten uh, is where these outbreaks started. Uh, But you you still had cases growing uh, in 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 other communities. And now people are um, are are collecting, they're gathering, they're doing things that, you know, last year around this time they were not doing. And um, and and so it's spreading across the state now. Uh, last year, yeah, just yesterday, we we broke 10,000 cases um, the day before we were out at, at about eighty five hundred. Uh, and that gives you a sense of the trajectory of, of what going vertical means. How does that compare to what was happening earlier in the year? Well, you know, when I was um, optimistic, you know, we were talking about, you know, cases in the in the low thousands and um, and, and and you can see where we are now. My sense is that because some people are vaccinated and because there are these coronavirus variants, the rising caseload looks a little bit different than what we've seen before. Like, do we have a good sense of what's causing the spike? Well, I mean, you have a more transmissible, more more virulent form of the virus. That, that's what B117 is. It's 
faster to transmit and it makes you sicker. And, um, and then you have reopening, which is bringing people together in the context of this more transmissible, more virulent virus. And um, if those folks aren't vaccinated, which we know that, you know, we vaccinated frontline workers and uh, in, in seniors first, um, then what you end up having is uh, this toxic brew uh, where you have a more virulent, more transmissible version of the virus spreading among people who are now mixing at a higher rate than they had been in the past. And, and people who may the, be feeling safe because younger people weren't getting as sick in the beginning. That's exactly right. That, that, is, that is one of the alarming pieces of this. If you look at the increases in hospitalizations, it's among young people. And that's probably attributable to the fact that B117 is more virulent than garden variety coronavirus. Um, and so for that reason, uh, we are in a situation where people who feel safe, who are um, you know, looking at the optimism that's generated by the headline that the vaccines are on their way, uh, are taking more risks and taking more risks in the context of a more risky version of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Variants are raising the stakes in our national race to get vaccinated. And Abdul says, Michigan shows the weak spots in our distribution plan. My understanding is that Michigan is about average in terms of like how many people have been vaccinated there and how the vaccination rollout is going, but that there are these gaps in terms of who's able to get access. Like the Atlantic wrote last month that first doses of the vaccine had been administered to 61% of Michiganders age 65 to 74, but then it was just 28% of black residents 65 and older had gotten at least one shot. Did that surprise you? Unfortunately not. Um, you know, I was the health commissioner for the city of Detroit, which is uh, America's largest majority black and poorest city. Um, and those two things are not a coincidence. Uh, I walked into a department that had five city employees and 85 contractors in the back of the building where people pay parking tickets because the city of Detroit in 2012 made the decision to defund its public health department. And so the city did not have a functioning department for years. My job was to rebuild it. And you think about where we are right now, where the city of Detroit is battling the worst pandemic in over a century with a health department that's functionally five years old. And um, that is a function of choices that we make about how we allocate a whole bunch of different resources. It's not just health care, but it's also uh, who gets access to good, stable housing, who gets access to water, who gets access to good schools, who gets access to the jobs that come with that, that education. Um, all of those things end up patterning access to resources in the midst of a pandemic like this one. The other part of that is that if your experience in the healthcare system is that you are constantly looked down upon because we as a society don't provide people universal health care and you may be someone who has your health insurance via Medicaid that commands far lower reimbursement rates and doctors and hospitals see you as a charity case uh, and therefore look down on you because our system literally discriminates against you and says that your body is not worth giving health care, then the downstream consequences are that you're going to be treated terribly. And, um, and that's the experience that a lot of people have. So you're talking about two things, which is, first of all, Detroit underfunding healthcare and public health infrastructure. And then also the result of that being folks in Detroit 
not trusting the health system because it really hasn't been there for them when they needed it. And now you both desperately need the infrastructure to be there to get vaccines in arms. And you desperately need people to trust the infrastructure because you got to get them to these sites and convince them that this vaccine is a good thing. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm actually talking about one thing with two manifestations, right? It's structural racism and it shows up in our, our inability uh, to provide these resources because we've disinvested in the infrastructure and the lack of trust in the community in that infrastructure because it has not been provided in the past. And when folks have tried to use it, they have seen firsthand the the fact that they're being discriminated against. And once you're in this pattern, it feels to me like it's really hard to get out of. Like people may remember how, I think it was last month, the mayor of Detroit initially refused the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because, you know, the idea was this was a less than vaccine. It might not be as good as the others. And you can kind of understand when you understand the way people in Detroit may be feeling left behind, why the mayor might make that decision, why that might be frustrating for public health officials. You can sort of see all sides of that. That's right. And if you're trying to address decades of disinvestment on the fly in the middle of a pandemic, it's going to be really, really hard to do. And um, the, the sine qua non of public health is preparation, right? We aim to be prepared so that we might respond adequately if and when something like this happens. And, 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 and here's, the, here's the key point, right? It demonstrates the fallacy of this notion that every, every man should operate for him or her, every man for himself, right? It, it's that all of us are actually in this collective together. And um, particularly when you think about something like herd immunity, it requires all of us to participate. Uh, it requires when, a herd. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and when we have been uh, dividing our own societies um, for so long, uh, it undercuts collective action. And, you know, it, it largely explains why in the richest, most powerful country in the world, we account for one fifth of all of the world's COVID-19 deaths, despite being 4% of the world's population. Okay, so we've talked about access to vaccines and, and how it's especially constrained in communities of color. But there's this other issue that isn't just about access, which is folks not wanting to get vaccinated in Michigan. Who is it that is saying, you know, I'm going to take a pass this time. Yeah, you have two large, um, two, two, two main groups. The, the first are um, conservative white folk in rural parts of, of Michigan. Uh, and the second are people of color who, um, you know, whose hesitancy, I think, is more born out of a distrust of uh, their own experience with the, the medical system. Um, and so it, it's those those two for very different reasons. Uh, and, you know, in Michigan, we are a um, almost a microcosm of the United States. We have uh, a large urban community. We have a large um, suburban community. We have a large rural community. And uh, if, if you if you uh, sort of play the averages, uh, it leads to a higher than average hesitancy uh, across the state. But it's not a one size fits all hesitancy. And I think we have to uh, think about dealing with it um, on, on different fronts. So are you seeing targeted campaigns looking to reach each of these groups of people? I think there's been a real concerted push um, to take this on. I, I don't think it's been enough. And I also don't think it's been um, imaginative enough. I think it's been great to see uh, leaders uh, of, of church communities and, uh, and block club captains take up the cause. 
Um, and I think that there's that they've been met by um, a, a, a set of leaders uh, at the federal and state levels who want to empower them uh, and make sure that they have the resources that they need um, to take on this this hesitancy. But I, I just think that it needs it's sort of been a secondary goal um, rather than being uh, the focus. Do you think that's a mistake? Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, here's the thing. We're going to come to a point in the next month uh, where the 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 amount of vaccine outstrips the demand for vaccine. And working on demand, you know, solving the supply problem obviously is a, is a key goal. But I will say that the thing about demand is it takes more time, right? It, it really is about seeding a cultural norm. It um, takes more trust. Exactly. And, and that takes time. It takes it takes a, a level of of prolonged, consistent conversation. If you know you're looking at an institution or a set of institutions that you don't trust, and all of a sudden they're like, "Here, we really want you to take this vaccine," and then we're just gonna, you know, go back to where we were before. That that that's not really a, a trust building exercise. Um, and so it does take a concerted, long term investment, and we don't have that much time. We'll be right back. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So what should Michigan do now? If Abdul had his way, things would look pretty different than they do at the moment. Because even though cases have been on the rise, the governor, Gretchen Whitmer, she hasn't been closing down businesses just the opposite. Casinos, movie theaters, restaurants, indoor exercise classes, they are all open with some restrictions. That means individual communities are largely deciding for themselves how to muddle through this latest surge. If you take uh, 23 North up to Brighton or you stay on 23 North, uh, it'll take you to Flint. Um, You get to very different kinds of communities in Michigan. And, um, you know, if you stay on 23 North from there, you go into to very rural towns. In fact, it'll take you uh, right up into the thumb there. Um, and you see the different ways that um, people have uh, looked at this pandemic and, and changed or not changed their behavior uh, accordingly. And here's the crazy thing. 23 North is not that long. Um, hmm. And the virus can also take 23 North, right? And 23 South. Uh, and so the, the point here is that 
Um, we are in this thing together. If we cannot get on the same page about what this virus is, what it means for us, how it affects us, uh, then it's really hard to get on the same page about what we need to do about it. And if we can't do that, then you know the, the, the virus will have a field day and that's exactly what it's doing. Yeah. I mean, I have a colleague who lives in Michigan who was saying that he feels like the state has kind of given up on infection control. Like his local Italian restaurant is just booming, like people crowded. It looks, quote unquote, normal. And I think he's really struggling with like, what what would the right response be here and who do I blame? And I'm sort of curious how you would answer that question. The thing about leadership that matters is that it signals what ought to be done even more so than just doing it. When you signal that we are now reopening, what that tells people is that, you know, be merry, enjoy enjoy what's being reopened. And it sends the wrong signal. And so it's not just the actions that need to be taken, but it's also the message that needs to be delivered through those actions about the fact that this thing is serious. You had this really elegant idea, which was that the state should be tying reopenings to local vaccination rates. And I thought it was elegant because it kind of has the benefit of getting everyone on the same page. You know, mayors really want to open up their cities for a lot of reasons. They need that tax base back. They want their cities to feel, quote unquote, normal again. And if everyone was on the same page about the vaccinations, it would help. It would at least be a start, even though vaccinations can't be everything. Is anyone taking that idea seriously? You know, uh, not that I, I I don't know. Um, I hope that they are, because I think one of the things that we need right now uh, is that we need an incentive to work toward. And I, I actually kind of worry that the the freedom that ought to come with a high enough vaccination rate has come without that vaccination rate. And it's like just because the vaccines exist in theory, uh, we're sort of acting like everyone's been vaccinated. And those two things are not the same. And so if you, you know, yoke uh, our ability to get back to normal, to actually doing the thing that we need to do to do normal safely, um, then it may incentivize more people to go out and, and do that thing. Um, you know, in, in, implicit in, in vaccines is that there is a collective action problem, right? <clears throat> and anti-vaxxers have been writing that for a long time. They say, well, uh, you know, I know my kid who I'm choosing not to vaccinate is protected by all the other kids who are vaccinated from getting this disease through herd immunity. So maybe I'm going to be the one who free rides. And I just think that we need to do something about taking that on, uh, because even though these are safe and effective vaccines, people who've been fear-mongering them create a, uh, a, a sort of cost uh, that exists in people's minds to taking one. And um, I think what we need to do is uh, create a counterpoint to that and say, look, here's the benefit uh, for all of us. And not just in saying, ah, I know I'm protected and I can do things safely, but in saying, hey, I really want to go to a local restaurant. That's my favorite place. I'd really like to eat in there. I really want to go back to a gym. I really want to you know, be able to go to a concert. All right. So here's what we need to do to get there. Let's do that thing. Hmm. You know, Joe Biden has said he's hoping that the 4th of July can look something like it does usually, where we could gather in small groups and and celebrate outdoors. I'm wondering if what's happening in Michigan changes your thoughts about how realistic that idea is. Well, it, it certainly has the potential to. In, in COVID time, um, the, the, the distance between now and July is, is really quite long. Um, and so a lot can go right if we make the right decisions to get us back on track. I also worry about 
where other states are going to be, right? Like I said, you know, like we talked about the, the premise of our conversation is that Michigan is not the only place with these kinds of dynamics. It's just the place where it's happening first. And so if we start to see these dynamics happening in other states, a couple of weeks from now, a month from now, um, it really could throw that timeline off. And the important thing to remember is that the the more we do now to prevent that kind of thing from happening, the closer we are to the ultimate normal that all of us would like to get to. And it, it's a it's a matter of choices that we make. The, the virus doesn't have a mind of its own. It just follows the paths that we create for it. And our job is to shut those paths down. Abdul El-Sayed, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Dr. Abdul El-Sayed is an epidemiologist based in Michigan. He's also got a podcast. You should go check it out. It's called America Dissected. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, Elena Schwartz, Carmel Delshad, and Davis Land. We're helped each and every day by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I am Mary Harris. You can go find me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. I will catch you back here tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.